There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey guys, it's Nerdist Podcast, episode number 248. Uh, I'm recording on my crappy headphone mic down here in Orlando, Florida, because I'm at Star Wars Celebration. Uh, it's been amazing. I met Warwick Davis today. Huh? Right? Flitwick! Willow! Wicket! Come on! He was amazing! And uh, also, I think I might be uh, getting a little George Lucas interview action this weekend, too. Star Wars Celebration has been absolutely amazing. The cosplay is great. The people are super awesome. The model buildings. There's a giant Rancor monster here. There's a whole, like, tattoo section. I thought about it for half a second, but it's not going to happen. But Star Wars Celebration has been great. So thank you so much to Lucasfilm and to Reed Pop uh, for having us down this year. Uh, We're covering a bunch of stuff on StarWars.com from Nerdist. And then Saturday, I'm going to the Doctor Who premiere screening that I'm hosting in New York with Matt Smith and Karen Gillen, which means that Saturday, September 1st is the season premiere of the next series of Doctor Who. Uh, they sprung us on, they sprung it on us this time. We didn't know when the date was going to be and they're like, oh, it's in a week and a half. So this is happening. So we've decided to do on the Nerdist channel. I'm proud to announce a Doctor Who weekend starting Friday, August 31st. We are going to run all-Star Celebrity Bowling, Team Nerdist versus Team Doctor Who recorded at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, it was myself, Will Wheaton, Alex Albrecht, and Chloe Dykstra versus Team Doctor Who, Matt Smith, Karen Gillan, Arthur Darvill, and Stephen Moffat. Uh, this episode is so much freaking fun, and we were going to hold it till October 15th when the new season of All-Star Bowling runs, but we're like, screw it. It's, it's, it's Doctor Who premiere weekend. Let's just let's do it now. So all programming next weekend is Doctor Who themed. So All-Star Bowling with Doctor Who, Friday, August 31st, and then Saturday, September 1st, uh, a new show called Dork Fork, which is our kind of nerdy cooking show uh, with Andy and Harrison, and special guest is going to be Alton Brown, so they're going to be making Doctor Who themed treats, so you can watch the premiere and cook up some Doctor Who themed treats, and then following the premiere of Doctor Who, uh, Saturday night, is uh, we're going to put up the Q&A from the thing that I'm going to New York to host with Matt and Karen. Then Sunday, September 2nd, we're bringing back Just Cause, a cosplay show hosted by Chloe Dykstra from Gallifrey One. So, huge, huge, huge Doctor Who happenings on the Nerdist channel. Subscribe, go there, youtube.com slash Nerdist for our Doctor Who weekend. And then stay subscribed. Don't go there and then unsubscribe after that. Uh, I'd like to thank audible.com for supporting the Nerdist podcast uh, this episode. Audible.com is audiobooks. Any book you can possibly think of, if you go to audible.com slash Nerdist, you'll get a free audiobook download. Uh, you can listen wherever you want, whenever you want. I like audiobooks uh, better in a lot of cases because the authors read them, and it just kind of gives you a perspective of, of what they were thinking when they wrote. Now I'm just explaining you how audiobooks work, and you're not a moron, so I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, but I really recommend Bossy Pants because Tina Fey reads it, and it is 
mind-blowingly good. Uh, over 100,000 titles to choose from. Every genre. Audible has it covered. Uh, audible.com slash Nerdist for your free audiobook download. And now this episode of the Nerdist Podcast is Joel Hodgson. Uh, when I often I talk about how Will Wheaton and I are roommates, I probably say it way too much, but it's true, and it was a large part of my youth. And we discovered Mystery Science Theater together, and that was our Friday night ritual when that show first started airing. That show changed me comedically. Uh, it showed me that you didn't have to play to every audience in the world to write brilliant comedy, that you just had to be funny and then the right audiences would find you. So, huge inspiration. I love Joel Hodgson. Uh, I worked with him on my very first job in 19... <laughs> in the 1900s. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, I love that guy. So, here we go. The Nerds Podcast. We all geeked out on this super hard. Uh, the Nerds Podcast, number 248, with Joel Hodgson. Up and Gangnam Style! Hey, sexy lady! I don't know how it goes. Up and Gangnam Style! I can't do it. That's not very Gangnam Style of you over there. um, Come on. Now entering Nerdist.com. So it could be really great. You're fried from traveling? Joel, this better be the best appearance on an audio (laughs) form of media that you've ever been in your life. What time is it on the big 101? (laughs) Your voice sounds the exact same frazzled from traveling than it does every other time I've heard you talk. Okay, good. That's what I'm going for. We're going to go to traffic with Joel Hodgson. Listen, it's the big one. (laughs) What? It's the big one. What does that mean? Why did we go to traffic to announce the earthquake that's going to destroy the state? I'm into earthquakes now, guys. This earthquake wasn't even here. It's another place. That was a big just one. Turned into Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Took a turn. I can't help it. Man, I just ended up watching <clears throat> like a Howdy Doody on online just like yesterday. <laughs> it's really late, and I don't know even how I ended up watching it. Was it, it like a was kinescope like, one? That's like sort of you can tell. No, it was, it was shot the last TV? one, so it was color, oh, and shit. it was like I'm trying to think. Oh, it was the it was Clarabelle talked. Okay, that's the big. Big reveal, reveal at the and end. The big ending. And, and I was just sitting there going, like, like what's the fascination? Like, why? <laughs> what did Clarabelle do say? I, I don't know. Daddy, so just like Lisa lonely. Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was Maggie. Yeah, I know. I said dad. She said daddy. No, yeah. Well, didn't she say dad? You yeah. said Lisa. Oh, I meant, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know just Maggie, which we is Elizabeth, Elizabeth start, Taylor's we'll voice. start over. Okay. Okay. Joel's really fried right now, guys. Yeah. So tra- traffic. <laughs> fuck, I the forgot where we were. Howdy Doody to me. Like I tried to watch it. <laughs> the well, oh, we got we're leak. high above the city. Ah. <laughs> eagle going by. Notice radio. We've got three helicopters covering traffic. That's three, three helicopters yeah. covering traffic and. Uh, silent. And you can do your internal voice like Carlin used to do, like, ooh, that's weird. <laughs> when you've got a microphone. <laughs> What's that guy doing? Which Gaffigan does now. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's weird. I don't think, he, I don't think this is going well at all. No. And then he started doing voice, another voice that? to argue with that voice. <laughs> that lady won't shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Why is he got to talk in that voice? <laughs> so, uh, Joel, Joel Hodgson, let's let's just let's just go back a, a ways. And uh, first of all, even before Mystery Science Theater, I remember you going on uh, SNL when actually they had stand-up sets yeah. on SNL, yeah, and you used to do all the dark, Agent J stuff. It was a dark time for SNL because. <laughs> They, their sketches weren't funny enough. They had to like boost them by bringing in like actual comics yeah. to do stuff. Who was the cast? I can't remember who the cast was at that time. Um, well, I think Eddie Murphy was just like heading out the door. Julie Louise Dreyfus and I'm trying. I can't really. Remember. Oh, Joe Piscopo was there. Oh, yeah, right. That was just and, uh, before. That was before. That was like right before. Say the, no more, Joel. Yeah. That was right that before was they overhauled and did. I think that was right before like Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest, Harry yep. Shearer. Right, right. It was like Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid, Denny Dillon. Show, and I, I mean, but I was so grateful to get to do it. And it was the only TV show I ever did that really was like, like a, like you're, you're doing, it's like, the, it's like doing the play in high school. There's a huge party afterwards. So you actually like, I'm on TV, and then, and then we go into the city, and there's a huge party somewhere. So yeah. it was actually kind of a fulfillment, whereas like doing Letterman was like, everybody leaves right away. Because <laughs> <laughs> they got to like, be there. The next Letterman hits a button, yeah. and he just drops out from get, his desk. Go get pizza. Yeah. Like, what's going to happen after Letterman? No, everybody disappears. So it felt like, like going, doing SNL like, felt like, like a big showbiz kind it of moment. It really like, was. It really w- fulfilled all my expectations. And it's live, so everybody's watching it at the same time. Like, I went out to eat afterwards, and the people in the bar was, was like, thumbs up. We saw you on SNL, man. Wow. It was wow. great. So it's so immediate. Was it uh, by day, mild manner comedian by night, Agent J? It was Agent. <laughs> was the Agent J? <laughs> and it was all the it was all the contraptions that just looked like I don't remember exactly what they were. It was something like boombox, and then it turns into like a, a, rifle. a, a rifle. Yeah, and that's yeah. A, that's an old toy from <laughs> the '60s from Mattel called uh, Zero M. It was a line of toys, and they were awesome. It was a camera that turned into a pistol. It was a radio that turned into a rifle. Cold War. There was a... T- there was a uh, <laughs> did you just say Cold War? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's Cold War yeah. era. Yeah. Shit, like, greatest, yeah. just pronounce Cold, when Cold War! War. Guys, guys, when the fucking Ruskies attack, we gotta, yeah. all our appliances gotta turn into it's guns. We're yeah. talking about the Cold War. There was even a movie camera that yeah. became like a Tommy gun. Yeah. yeah. And there was it a, shoots both a ways. jackknife that then turned back into like a can opener that wasn't very popular <laughs> yeah. but the things that turned into weapons oh they were fantastic so when i was um when i was like d- doing my act i'd i'd occasionally find those like i'd get go to the goodwill and find stuff and that's how i kind of built my act and i'd find them and i go oh i have to do something these are so awesome it's like it's like a magician built these tricks yeah or these these toys and uh, uh, what, did you did you just do the show once, or did you do it a couple times? I did a bunch of times. Yeah. I did it four times like that year. I really miss that element. I really miss that element from that show. I mean, they don't need it now. They have so many cast members fighting for. They started off that way though, and they, you know they had Kaufman on, and they had Carlin. It was really more of a variety show in yeah. the beginning. And I now mean, the, the pilot for it. Have you seen the pilot for SNL? No. It's weird. It's like it really is like a '70s variety show. Where Paul Simon's like introducing um, the next song. Here's a song I wish I'd written. <laughs> <laughs> and Carlin hosted, right? Carlin, Carlin hosted was the first, first show. One, yeah, but they didn't want him wearing jeans. But I think Paul Simon did. 
it was like really weird. And then they they hardly had the uh, not ready for primetime players at all. Like they did like one sketch. So even then they didn't. It wasn't like super clear. Yeah, I remember watching like some of the the early early episodes of that show. Are I mean. I, I, it's not that they're unwatchable. They're just finding it, whatever it is. And it's definitely, it's like the sketches they're doing and what the audience is watching. There's a little bit of a disconnect. I just remember one where it was like, they're all in, they're all high school kids and they're like, Sally gave me VD or whatever it is. But there wasn't real. I don't remember there being a payoff. And then the audience yeah. just kind of, it almost just felt more like weird performance art that was a little bit punk and antithetical to the to the rest of television comedy at the time. And it time. was 70s television so everyone just looked sweaty. Everyone looked sweaty <laughs> yeah. and it looked just looked dirty. Te- 70s television looks like always looked like it had just gotten fucked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it just always had that look. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you, you come back from commercial and it's like <sighs> <laughs> oh my god can you tell oh. is my hair Very good is my match up so uh how did you first of all, first of all how did you did you you're from minnesota eh? right right and right. so did you um, did you just say a but yeah i, I accidentally <laughs> right. did i accidentally did yeah. it checks out story checks out <laughs> how was minnesota's christ, christ day because <laughs> you minneapolis has an amazing stand-up scene now was it always that way yeah it was um it was great, and I don't know how how it happened. Um, I was just so lucky to be there. And at one time, the guy, there was this guy, Scott Hansen, who was like the the dawn of comedy in Minneapolis, and he just was really ambitious, and he had so many rooms. Like at one time, supposedly had more seats for comedy than like New York City. Oh wow! Like two, just tons of rooms, and so uh, it was great. And the audiences are. Uh, they're super nice. They're like they're really <laughs> yeah, they like appreciative. Yeah. It's a great place to it. do comedy. They yeah, it. they're just so. like super encouraging, and I'm sure that um, just doing stand up there and mystery science theater there was like, th- I mean, part of it was they're just so like open. Like they didn't feel like they had to judge it. Like oh, it's creative. Let it live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let it live. <laughs> Was Minneapolis a, like a hippie city? Like, was there that element yeah, of just... Yeah, there's something about it, that, and I don't know how it happened, but it, there is definitely this bohemian element to it. It's really amazing, and it's just the people, they're really great. And, and the music there is just, yeah, it's it's just, just insane, the amount of creativity that I comes think, out of it. I think, too, and, you know, it, again, it's part of, part of it is it was so cold, and you really had to, like, you were really like had to woodshed, you know, like when you're like if you're learning to do music or if you're doing comedy or whatever, you really had time to like kind of think about it. Yeah. And a lot of quiet moments <laughs> to like kind of ponder what you were gonna do. And then when the weather got good, it got crazy. It was like bacchanalian and people were just go nuts. So it it, it it something about it, I don't know, but I'm I I, I wonder if I would have lived somewhere else if it would have ended up the way it did, you know. It's when you go there, it's, you know, the times that I've been there, like in the summer, you know, cities like Milwaukee and um, uh, in Wisconsin, obviously in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis, you go to these cities and they're really, there's a lot of culture and there's a lot of theater and everyone's really nice and it's really beautiful. And they've taken all the old factories and made them really cool, like modern buildings. And you go, oh my God, I could totally see living here. And then you remember that for <laughs> t- 
10 months out of the year or whatever, it's yeah. unbearable. Like, just yeah. like I, I sheet. Well, the Northwest, I think, is a lot like that, too, where it's like, you know, everyone's inside because it's raining so much of the time. And they're just, you know, like, that's why so much music is there. There's just guys in their, their apartments and their practice spaces just tooling around. Yeah. And then, like, when it, when it gets better, everyone's just playing shows the entire time. Yeah. See, that's why LA is so shallow because you're just outside all the time because the time. weather's so nice. You're yeah. not, you don't, you're not forced to be introspective. Because you're just in... What about our cars, man? We are inside our cars a lot. Yeah, <laughs> just like my favorite soliloquy from the movie Crash. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have a favorite anything from the movie Crash? That we just crash into each other just so we can feel something. <laughs> hey, Rosanna Arquette, I'm going to fuck your leg wound. Oh, wrong crash. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the more pretentious crash. Not oh, the, I was uh, talking about the David Cronenberg crash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is another segment... We like to call which crash are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of Flash. You were thinking of Flash. Oh. <laughs> and now I was thinking of Flash. Yeah. He'll fuck all our leg wounds. Dun, 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 I was thinking dun, of the dun. Dave Matthews album Crash. I was I was I was trying to explain to someone the other day about uh, they'd never seen Flash Gordon. I'm like, you have to watch it again because it. Uh, I it's clear that they were trying to do a comic booky sort of a thing. But it just look. I mean, it's just like, you know, little people in garbage bags, kind of for, for you know Isn't what that I mean. The name of your next book, little people in garbage bags. <laughs> yeah, uh, forward by Peter Dinklage. <laughs> oh come on! I, like I mean, seriously. Sorry. Um, and then, uh, it, which leads me to the next point is people are probably always like, "Hey, how come you should do this movie? You should do that movie, Joel. Oh, yeah. You should do Flash Gordon." Yeah, all the time. Are you ever? Do, do, do you ever go? Hey, that's an actually a good idea. You're like. <laughs> nah, nah. Man, I, I, I still haven't figured out like an elegant answer like to what to say to people. It's no. I try to like when right. I mean, the problem is, is I do a lot of interviews and they always ask, "Okay, what movie do you really want that you've never <laughs> do had? You really, on? really want to do?" And it, there's like a formula. You just go, "Oh, well, let's see, what's the big crap movie? Oh, it's John Carter of Mars, everyone. <laughs> That's the one. I think that's the one. I've been waiting this whole time. Kinda, actually, I have to say, I kind of like that movie, but um, but uh, but that's the formula. Is you give them the 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 the, the agreed upon bad movie of the time. <laughs> yeah. And and it, if it's a if <laughs> you it's should a writer, just say you should just say like. Precious, and then they'll never ask you again. Just like pick a pick an Oscar. Yeah. American <laughs> History X. I really wish I could just tackle wanna, that one. Just want to get in there. Get quiet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it all goes bad. Schindler's but List. I'm yeah. sorry. I, yeah. Dance from the dark. You know what I do? I try to go. Um, I try to school them a little bit and go. Oh, it's like. Um, it's like uh, when you're re refurbishing a house and you got to find a house with good bones. And so we don't really dr dream shop for movies. We get a movie, look at it, walk around in it and say, does this look like it'll work? And yeah. so it, it's really true and it's just not an interesting answer, but they always ask. And also, where do you get your movies? Oh, right. It's mm -hmm. always what they And ask. where do you get your ideas from? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How, do you, how does that work exactly? Did the robots how construct themselves? How you funny? I think that would be neat to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> that just seemed like it'd be a gosh darn good time being funny. Are <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you Hugh Hauser all of a sudden? Uh, golly! <laughs> um, I, I, what you guys did with that, just starting in public access, uh, it was very... The spirit of it was years ahead of its time. It's very much... Digital culture, YouTube generation, like, hey, we're just going to make this thing that we think is fun just because. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, actually, it was VH, UHF, VHS. <laughs> no, oh, for some UH, reason, I thought it was public access. No, it's UHF. Yeah, it's UHF, but it's kind of the same thing. Old timey public access. Yeah, it really was because you're it's local local TV. Public was, access for profit. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like, <laughs> private access. Tune, there was a second dial you had to tune in. Channel like thirty one or yeah, yeah, exactly to get a UHF channel and um, you know I it was just it was kind of in the air. I think I think it you know you it, it happened with music prior to that. Like music is kind of you know the the beginning, of, usually the beginning of it, and it's like to me that you'd see people doing that, talking about that. Oh, we recorded this in our home. Yeah, we recorded this in a trailer. We, you know, so people were starting to do that, and so it was all laying itself out. Like, oh yeah, you can make TV from this, and if it's a good enough idea, it might work. And so I think, um, I think that was kind of in the back of my mind, and. Um, you know, really, you know, I got approached by Jim Mallon, who's the guy who sure. ran uh, the channel. The, I mean, the little UHF channel, and um, and I had this idea, and um, and he wanted to do like a, a stand-up. Uh, what was it like? A, it was like a it was like a gong show with stand-ups. Okay. And so he kind of started the conversation by saying, you know, what do you know about the comedy scene and you know, what do you think of this? And I said, it, you know, it's okay. And, you know, I'll help you if I can, but you should just talk to this guy. And it just didn't seem that interesting. It's pretty pedestrian, I, I thought, and I didn't really want to get involved with it. But then I went home and thought about it and I started going, um, oh, wait, maybe I could pitch him this idea, this movie, you know, idea. And, um, and at the time, I think, when I started it, it was like, um, it was more like um, the Omega Man, you know, the mm -hmm. Charlton Heston Omega yeah. Man, where he's like in that movie theater watching Woodstock. Look yeah. at all the yeah. people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was like, it was, um, and I, and I kind of remember that, and I had a drawing of a robot. There was this Rex the robot who would be sitting with the guy, and it was supposed to be this apocalyptic show where this guy's, everybody's gone and he's in a movie theater watching a movie. Slowly Turns going out, insane. not yeah. that funny of a yeah, premise yeah. Yeah. at the apocalypse. Um, and, and the next episode, he's watching it again. Yeah. <laughs> it's the so, only one left. So I kind of just took the robot idea and I, and I remember this movie I always liked called Silent Running. Which, of course. With, with Bruce Dern. Yeah. And, and I always loved that. It was just like Douglas Trumbull made that movie and it was like, it was really cool. It was like a hippie in a hippie space, space movie. And it was very environmental, and well, they're, yeah, they're, they're transferring the, the the trees, right? Right. It's like the world has killed all the trees, and there's these geodesic domes with forests in them, and um, they're he's got a they've got to fly him around in space until the world heals itself or something, and he loses his mind. But along the way, he has this relationship with these three robots: as Huey, Dewey, and Louie. That that's what he names them, and um, so I just kind of went with that. Kind of like, oh, that'll work. It's a guy in space. He's got robots, and he's watching movies. So that was kind of the pilot was that, and um, and I think it more was like a pirate radio station. It was more like he's up there and broadcasting, trying to reach people. And um, after we did the pilot, and I think we did one or two shows, and uh, Jim 
um, Alan like canvassed some people and said, what do you think of this? And someone said, oh, it needs like a theme song. You need to explain it. It's a little too weird. <laughs> so, and I would honestly wouldn't have gotten to that because it's just too like average, I, thought, I think, yeah. too obvious. And I think I wanted people to wade into my world and, <laughs> and it turned out to be the perfect thing, you know. And so Josh and I wrote the theme song and that's where we got to um, – just all the all the things like, um, you know, the the notion that um, he can't control the movies, that these bosses shot him into space and are doing this. Those things dropped in at that point. You know, prior to that, it was the robots and a movie and a guy and space. But th that really kind of within, so the, within three weeks, we had kind of flushed it out. Because of writing the theme song for it is where you came up with more of the ideas. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, an, yeah. that's an interesting we, idea. Actual, the actual arc of like, and also saying, um, to me, I, that line about uh, repeat to yourself, it's just a show, I should really right. just relax, yeah. like fixed everything. <laughs> and also, <laughs> you know, we didn't have to worry about it. And also, um, and you didn't have to. Um, if you're wondering how he eats and breathes with other yeah. science facts, yeah, yeah. Just, show, I should really just relax. Yeah. And it, and it like, yeah, but how does he eat and breathe? <laughs> yeah. You couldn't do that. Yeah. yeah, and so and also it kind of put a it kind of fixed everything. It kept us from thinking about it too much and just like, oh come on, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, it's okay. Just get to the so, meat of it. So yeah, so that really like it was funny, but that really corrected a lot of the a lot of those things, and especially the Mads and that the whole like, just how deliberate it is. We're mad scientists. We're showing you movies. It's against your will. You can't stop mm. them. And that's that's it. So. Well, I remember the very first. Uh, uh, it was a pretty. It was a very, very, very important time for me. I was exactly the right age. I was like 19 years old. Uh, I was at UCLA, and like that previous summer, I had also discovered Ren and, Ren and Stimpy, and so I'm I'm just kind of gelling on that and Liquid Television and Spike and Mike, and then flipping around Comedy Central. Uh, it was either on at 10 or midnight. I can't believe it on a Friday night, but it was like Friday night. I was alone because that happened a lot. And uh, and, I, and I'm and i flipping channels and I stumble across it and I see you in the jumpsuit and the robots and you're making a craft of something or other. And then uh, you're talking about mucilage, mucilage, the, the bonding, like a bonding agent. And, uh, and, and Crow says, hey, kids, mucilage tastes like sweet honey. And, I remember <laughs> and you're like, don't tell them that. Stop it. Like, that was the first. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And then discovering that you then go into a movie. And then, like, it's one of those shows where this, the first second you see it, the silhouettes and the movie, and you're like, Oh my God! Of course. Yeah. Why hasn't anyone? Of course. Uh, and then yeah. from then on, was hooked. And you know, my roommate Will and I watched that every Friday. We'd get together and watch that. And then the marathon started and became a daily show. And the popularity. And um, it, to this day, because we have friends who do the same kind of setup. But you know, Matt Matt does a Star Trek where he makes fun of Star Trek episodes, and Doug Benson does uh, movie interruption and. Right. But still, when you explain shows to people that revolve around that, you go, well, they're just mystery science theatering uh, Star Trek episodes. Yeah. Like, you get, you own that. I mean, maybe uh, not financially, but you own it, you so know, philosophically. Thank you. Joel. Clean it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it, Thanks. Yeah, it was just, you know, it was kind of just, it, it, it's very peculiar. There's a couple of things that helped me get to it. Um, I remember in college, a roommate of mine had this book, um, 
the the Golden Turkey Awards. Have yeah. you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Seen that and book. it was like, I remember reading it. It's fascinating, just like going, oh. And in, again, in Minneapolis, you could go to the, you know, the university and they'd be playing like the terror of Tiny Town. And it was kind of like the golden age of like midnight movies and art house cinema with... Like ironic know. viewing of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like just the beginning of... Um, uh, like Rocky Horror, and it, it was just kind of happening, and it wasn't available on TV. And I remember sitting there reading it, going, "Why isn't anybody making a show with this stuff? Like, what? Why not? That would be awesome." Yeah. And so that sh- that book and um, the Psychotronic Film Guide was out, which was also a very similar book, which was again ironic m- movies that you you got to watch yeah, because yeah. you can't believe how bad they are or great <laughs> they are. So the, that was at at play too, and um, the other thing was in. I mean, actually, like um, in high school, I kind of thought of it when we were we were like I was at this friend's house and we were like working on the float for uh, homecoming at his house, right? <laughs> Folding like the sure. flowers, the paper things, you stuff in chicken wire, and and uh, El- this is like the Elton John like Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album was like really huge, and they were listening to it. And I remember looking at the cover, and there's this illustration of these silhouettes watching a movie, and I just kind of was going, yeah, that would be like a cool show if you ran a movie and had people saying stuff. It seems fairly easy, you know, to do. But it's actually not easy to do, which you know, like to do that kind oh, of... Oh, yeah, but when you're in high school... Oh, when you're in high school, you yeah, yeah, yeah. piece it together. I yeah. mean, it might, be easy. it might be easy for you, but just, you know, over the years, I've tried, you know, I've tried it, and obviously, you know... Um, uh, my ex-girlfriend did some of the riff tracks stuff yeah. and it just, it, when you don't really, it's, it's when you're a consumer of it, you're like, Oh, this is seamless. And how, Oh, you're just making jokes. But <clears throat> your, your, uh, home run rate in jokes per minute was extraordinarily high and it's fucking hard. Like I would watch Janet go back and forth and back and forth. And like you watch for five seconds at a time and be like, Oh, okay. Okay. Scribble notes and then rewind and then scribble notes and then play, you know, I mean, it's it is it. I'm sure it got easier maybe in the end, but it it watching that happen is like this is a grueling process. Um, yeah, I mean, it can be. I mean, the thing that we were so lucky about was we really got to grow into it because it's like when we started, it was like I just kind of thought, oh man, it's just like you'll say something every now and then, and a robot will go get popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like. But my idea was just, oh, it's companions who are watching the show with you and saying stuff. Yeah. And so in the pilot, there's like two jokes, you know. It's like most of it is to set up the, the premise. We were just kind of showing the host segments, and then we'd go through the doors, and then we went into the theater, and we just we were either coming in at the very beginning of a clip or leaving. And there's like just two jokes to signify, oh, you say stuff in the movie segment, in the movie segment. And to me, like, in the course of um, doing the 22 shows on UHF, it was like I'm, I, I kind of didn't know how much we could do. Like, I kept thinking, the viewer can't multitask. It's too many jokes. <laughs> It'll destroy itself. And, and really, it wasn't until we, we kind of made a cell tape at the end of it to go to uh, Comedy, Cha- or Comedy Central or Comedy Channel yeah. to sell it to them. And we cut together like a really all our funny jokes. And I go, oh, this is what it has to be. This is what it should be the whole time. But it wasn't really ever clear. So we had all this like 
a long, you know, really long time to like kind of wade into it, walk walk through it, and learn it. And we didn't know that it would be um, what you saw, which was just it's just always we're just all the pistons are firing, and we've got jokes all all along the way. It was it wasn't clear at all that to me or anybody because we weren't doing. If you look at any of the KTMA episodes, it's really sparse, and you know it's not. It's not there. We, and we didn't write anything then. It was all improvised and we're just saying stuff. And So you pretty much had 22 episodes to make a pilot. It's, you're exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And if, if we would have done it the way you usually do it, it never would have happened. If I would have had to like pitch oh, right. an idea and, go, and then bring it to fruition in the course of like six weeks or eight weeks or six months, that just wouldn't have happened. So that's, ke- that's another <clears throat> thing we we're super lucky is we just got to practice on TV. Yeah, you know, figure it out. Did you uh, keep up stand up uh, regularly during that time, or did you take a back seat? I can't, I can't quite remember. I think I deliberately quit like stand up. Um, I did like three years of stand up, and then I, I I was out here and I quit and moved back to Minneapolis. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I did a couple of different things, um, and and so I. I wasn't doing it for like a year or two, and 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 I think it was only after we did like the first like KTMA shows, and there was like this kind of period where we were waiting for the show to get sold, yeah. that I started doing another stand up again, and it was just because I was kind of getting back into it. Wow. You so. said something on one of the, after the show became popular, and then you know, and I I had in all through college, I had a mystery science theater. Uh, decal on on the back of my car, which I think is still in storage somewhere. Like that <laughs> that thing followed me for so many moves. Cause I don't remember how I. I think I might have. Uh, I, I may have written a fan letter or something and gotten it back in the mail. Um, the fan club. Oh, the fan club yeah. yeah, the fan club. Yeah, I think I joined the fan club, and I think that's oh, what right. I that's what I got in the mail. Yeah. Uh, the Misties. The PO box still in existence. I don't know. I mean, I don't think Because it so. still runs with all, like, the Netflix yeah, versions of it. It still yeah. shows up. Yeah. I can't believe that. There's some poor guy in Minnesota is like, hey, what is all this shit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the people who run the um, the satellite website, like the Mystery Science Theater website, oh, maybe I, think, they... I believe they are in charge of it. Oh, it could be. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you said, you know, when, when the show became popular and then, you know, then there became shows about the show and just, you know, everyone wanted to figure out because you to pitch you couldn't pitch a show like that to network television you go well it's a guy and a couple robots and they're just going to watch an entire movie wait so you're going to cut it down no 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 the entire it's a two-hour show (laughs) you could fuck off like they just would never never allow which is so internet-y in the way that it became popular was like hey uh traditional media here is examples of this working so now all you have to do is take it and put it on your platform. Keep circulating the tapes. But you said um, you said in an interview once, and and I and this resonated with me, and it it became one of the core philosophies to how I approach comedy, which was you you said um, we never said uh, who's going to get these jokes. We always said the right people will get these jokes, and it just I was like, oh my god, of course you don't have to you don't have to write jokes for everyone in the world. Yeah, um, I got that from, this is going to sound so stupid, but um, it was really weird. Uh, I read, um, I think when I was in college, um, um, Jackson Brown was really huge with uh, Running on Empty, yep. the live uh, studio album, which was like live from the road. Yeah, And I, I think he was at 
the height of his powers. And I remember reading an article about him and he just, they kept asking him to interpret his songs. And um, he just said, I'm not going to tell you, you'll get it. Seriously, just think about it. You'll get it. It was so clever to kind of make people interpret what he was doing, you know. And I think, I believe that, you know. I believe that there's not really an actual point to a joke. It's kind of like people are all kind of busy interpreting at different speeds. And hopefully they're all kind of in the same neighborhood. But that was kind of the belief I had when I when I started, I think it's much more, now it's much more product oriented, like when we do cinematic Titanic, sure. um, which I got to say, we're at, we're at the Saban Theater on Sunday night in LA. Excellent. Yeah, I saw yeah, the, yeah. I saw the, uh, the billboard, I mean the billboard, the marquee. Yeah, yeah I got my tickets. Awesome. Nice. It's going to be fun. And, um, and so um, it's much more product oriented now because we just go, well, what's the funniest thing to say? We know the audience and stuff. But when I was starting, I think I was much more open and, and, and didn't know exactly what it would be. I, I was fortunate that I was around a lot of, like, like I, I said earlier, a lot of bohemian people and artists where there's not really a point to uh, – yeah. there's not a defined moment. And I think comedy is much more about, you know, this – the joke is the joke – but I, but I feel like back then I was a lot more open to that and more, and so that's what allowed us to kind of, you know, go into it and look look for it. Yeah. Because it wasn't clear. I mean, as funny as it's, as weird as it sounds, it just didn't drop on me. Like, we're gonna do this show and there's gonna be 800 jokes. Right. Per movie, it wasn't that at all. It was just, oh, there's a silhouette. And there's, they're going to say stuff, and it's going to be funny, and you're not going to believe what they say. But it wasn't that the volume it, that came when we got actually got paid to do it when we went to the Comedy Channel, and and I just said, okay, my friends are going to see this now. We have to write <laughs> this. <laughs> you know. So then, uh, you, what? Which season did you leave? Was it after two two seasons? No, I did the first hundred shows, so I did twenty. The twenty eight UH the UHF channel or how many we ever we did twenty six and the rest, so that must have been the first four seasons maybe. Because well, I'm thinking of a season. Maybe I'm thinking of it as calendar years and not seasons. But did you did you actually do it for five years or was it five cycles that it was were about uh, two and a half years? Well, there was I I don't I don't exactly remember. I don't I don't know. It's like something like must have been four seasons. Four okay. For like twenty, well, yeah, that's right. If we made twenty-two shows a year, that would be about eighty, and then the other twenty from UHF. So it's something like that. Four years for the Comedy Channel or Comedy Central. And was the decision to just like, okay, now the show's gotten some popularity, and I've done this, and I'm I just I kind of want to go do some other things and start some other some other projects. Well, it it was really, I it was really weird. I I. I'm still kind of unpacking a lot of it. Um, I think more than anything, what had happened was um, this this idea of doing the feature film came up. And we were really psyched about doing it as a feature film because they had done it with uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, they're making movies now. They quit making the series, and now they just make a movie, and that's awesome. And we were kind of going, oh, yeah, you know, that would be pretty cool instead of 22 good shows we can make one great movie and then just do it every year and it'll be really cool and 
I think we kind of got carried away with that. And, um, and the thing that happened was uh, Jim Allen, my partner, he came in one day and said, well, I think I'm the logical guy to direct this movie because he had directed another low-budget movie. And, um, and I kind of just didn't, I just, there's just something about it. I didn't, I didn't know, like it didn't quite feel right. And the other part of the deal was he goes, well, I'm going to produce and direct it. And then Trace, Kevin and Joel, you're associate producers on it. So I kind of felt like uh, it didn't reflect right. my position as the creator of the show. And I didn't know what that would be. I didn't want to direct it. I didn't think that was what I wanted to do. Associate producer is a crappy title, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a very it's low-end producer yeah, title. Even I knew that. So, so it's very peculiar. And I'm going, well, yeah, there's got to be... This just doesn't reflect, you know, the, 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 the world that Mystery Science Theater is and my participation with it and my, um, you know, what I did for it. So I kind of said, um, you know, if you're going to do that, I really don't want to be on camera. I really don't think I should be the guy because I just didn't think it would work. I didn't think he um, – I mean, really, the problem is is it, we re- it was really an ensemble show. It was really like we did it in the room. We wrote it together. Uh, we did it on the set, and we all just kind of decided what take we'd go with. And since it was just like one shot, you didn't, it wasn't really like, I mean, we all kind of directed it together. Yeah. And so I think the problem was kind of like, well, how do you, how do you create a template that goes into the movie industry, you know, 15 years ago um, where, you know, you make that work. So I think in his own way, he was going, well, the way I'm going to protect the brand is for me to be the guy to do it. And I would have just preferred, like, oh, let's bring in a director, like a good director that will work with us, you know, and just keep everything as it is. We never, ever dreamed that, you know, after we did the movie and it failed, like someone else would pick up the show. That's unheard of. Yeah. You know, that doesn't happen. Usually if you, oh, the show's done, we're going to make movies now. If you the movie fails, you don't get to do anything else. So that was an amazing thing that it got to keep going and it's they're really funny too i i really like uh the shows that uh there's a huge mike and joel thing and it's like it's kind of unfair because it kind of it to me it's like hey i created those shows too yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's like what's the difference you know so um so uh, that's always really peculiar that that happened, but it might have helped the brand too. It's kind of like Quisp and Quake, you know. And, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like it just engaged people. It's also very provocative. Like, like who does that? Like that guy's gone. There's another guy in there, and suddenly people are asked to make a decision: who <laughs> they like yeah. better, or what do they prefer? And and it was wh- odd because people were getting so upset about like, who is this guy? It's like, haven't you been paying attention? He's been in all the yeah, bands and also for he years. Was the, he was like the head writer, so that was kind of cool. That I think that kind of showed that we're writers and we're performers. So it kind of like we, prom- you know, he was promoted from within. So I think for nerds, um, you know. And I didn't mean to look at you. No, now please, it's fine. It's fine. I appreciate it. <laughs> but, you mean the guy with the glasses wearing the communist colossus shirt? Okay. Yeah. Well, you well, know. to be honest, though, 
wearing a... Oh, you're wearing Flynn Lives? Flynn Lives. And I've got my original Star Trek crew shirt on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Any direction you look, Joel. <laughs> yeah, it's nerd territory. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so... I don't know. I got kind of misty there, but what are we talking about again? No, oh. we were just talking about like just <laughs> <Sorry>. that you're <laughs> the end of your that you're that, that, that you're yeah. that you're got still misty sort of. Uh, oh, I'm uh, yeah. I'm still figuring it out, and it's like the more time that goes by, like just recently, I kind of it just dawned on me. I'm like going, I'm kind of pissed that people like have segmented the Mike and the Joel things. Like it's it's really unfair to me because it's like, well, wait a minute, like why is that? Um. So that's that's just my own personal thing where you kind of go, I get if they want to compare me to Mike as a movie riffer, I think that's totally fair. Do you know what I mean? Right. But it's mm-hmm. like I don't, they're like behaving like, uh, you know what I mean? Like I didn't write the theme song and I didn't build the robot. <laughs> well, it's just like the voice of the show didn't change, even though it was, you know, yeah. Mike you, it was this. It's like I feel just there's no real big, like, you know, turn in the show's quality. No, what changed was the literal voice you hear. That's all that changed. Yeah, the literal voice <laughs> and then the theme song a little bit. Yeah, like I started lis- uh, listening to those or watching them on Netflix and it's like, man, they really make me laugh because I don't know any of the jokes. Like when I see the, like, uh, Mike and Kevin and Bill ones. It's like I just sort of laugh my ass off watching them. So it's like, it's really fun and it's you know it's just as good to me. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah, it's it's always peculiar. Like something always bugged me about it. And I didn't know if it was like well, because you know, I think I think people are are. It, it's it always happens where I think it's just the way people's brains work where. If you work with a woman, they always want to know if you're sleeping with that, if they're sleeping together. And if you work with another dude, they're always like, oh, it's a weird competition, huh? You're like, yeah. no, it's that. I mean, <laughs> he does what he does. I do yeah. what I do. Well, We're clearly different. And even in the world of just this podcast, people tend to like the people that listen to this podcast try to separate like, oh, who are you a bigger fan of, Matt or Jonah? Like either of us, it's like it's like Chris. Everyone loves him, but like they feel they have to <laughs> yeah, you really. Have to fight <laughs> it out. I'm not. I don't really. Yeah. yeah well, well, no, the you're given. The you're people given that don't like show. us. But it's no, weird that people feel answer. they need to. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways it probably really helped, and you know, it just showed that the concept was worthy of rolling over a cast, and I think that's good. You know. Well, um, I you know. I like Mike, and I know all the, you know, I know uh, Kevin and uh, uh, and Bill, and um, I don't really know Trace very well, but, um, you know, but still, those original, those original Joel episodes were are just, you know, they they just really, they showed me what what smart comedy could be, which was which was really an important, really an important thing that it didn't have to, you didn't have to play broad, and because I think, you know, even now, what people understand about the kind of niche culture that we're in is. You always just think, oh, this thing I make, everyone's got to like it. And you're like, no, really? You know, it's like the thousand true fans premise of like, you really just, you know, if you hit, if you hit an audience that you love, you know, it's, you don't get douchebag fans, you know, who don't get what you're trying to do. And also you, you really connect with those people on a very communal level because you're having this shared experience. It's, I think it's a much better way to do comedy. Yeah. Um. I guess it was peculiar, too, because we didn't really... There was, like, no feedback at all. I mean, we'd get, we get like, above-ground press, like, oh, the um, you know, New York Times would write a really nice review of us and yeah. kind of go, oh, this is something you should watch. This is good. 
and then we'd get letters. But other than that, it wasn't like no Twitter in '92. Yeah, it wasn't clear, mm. like uh, like how people felt about it. So really, it really was us amusing ourselves. And we had a timetable. Like, we really had to roll over a new show every eight days. And so we just had to keep it rolling. But. God we, damn it. That is an extraordinary joke output for. A, that, yeah. that is fucking insane. That is insane. And, and you know what else is insane is we only worked like seven hours a day. We didn't like stay up all night. We never stayed past five o'clock ever. <laughs> oh, look out here. The cold outside. Yeah. You yeah. had to get home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, laid right. back but, Midwest attitude. It was really true. We didn't. because, And that's what, what was so hard when I after I left and I came to Hollywood and I saw how brutal it was to be in a writing room. It was just so unpleasant. Yeah. And... It was just like had this kind of term paper mentality. Like you gotta, you just gotta be here all the time to demonstrate that you're working really hard. And I just hated it. It was just like this is miserable. Well, you were the you were the very first, um, uh, like celebrity. Like when I when I first started working at MTV, we worked on Trash together. Do remember Trash in '94? And I I got plucked out of college to do that show. Uh, and you know, again, uh, I, I know I've said this before on the podcast, but the but the but the group of writers and performers on that show, which was just a, an MTV game show where they had tried to redo Remote Control again, which they tried to do every few years, but it was literally like the Higgins boys and Gruber and Doug Benson and Brian Posehn and Dana Gould and Cross and Odenkirk and Janine and um, and and Kindler and Kathy Griffin and just like uh, Margaret Cho, like just this insane collection of performers, and you and Chris Henchy. And uh, and you um, built the gadgets. You built the devices that would destroy people's. Trash was a show where people would bring on their personal items, and then if they didn't get enough questions right, a machine would destroy their stuff. And you <laughs> built these super clever things. And you, I, like, I could not. But I felt like I made it so hard when I got that job. And I'm like, I'm working with Joel. Are you fucking kidding me? And I tried so hard not to nerd out on you, but it was really hard not to. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Um, you know, I was always I. It, 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 it's funny. It always plagues me. Like I like I know Chris Henchy, yeah, and I know I worked with him on a show. But every time I see him, I like I'm, I'm like gapping. Like where did we work trashed. together? Mm. He's MTV's such a trashed. nice guy, and he's like you know. But yeah, it was trashed. I didn't even remember that. Yep. Um, yeah, that was that was interesting because um, it was a little bit like the like uh, being Michael Douglas in the China Syndrome because <laughs> it was people's personal effects. Yeah, things they loved, and you had to figure out a really elegant and visual way to destroy them <laughs> the first time, every time, in front of an audience of people. So everything is wrong about that. Yeah, you know, it sounds great in a meeting, sounds great on paper, but when you're like going, "How do we wreck this clock radio <laughs> so it looks awesome and nobody gets hurt?" So um, I remember the day I left, they were use they were they were using those uh, clay pigeon. Um, launchers yeah. to throw CDs. Yeah. And it's like throwing a ninja star yeah. when you throw a, a CD. It was crazy. But um, I'm glad nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. But it was a really it was a really fun show with that, you know, most people in this world will never remember. But it's it, but the but the, that that group for a lot of it was their first television job. Yeah. And it completely, you know, and, and I, I I just feel and I feel I have no right to feel smug because I just got cast on that show. But I just feel kind of proud, like, yeah, I worked on this thing that all these amazing people that I love that ended up becoming, like, all of the big comics now 
And it just like seeing all of it together yeah. in that one little know, cluster. That, yeah, that is really cool thing about that time in, in Hollywood, like what was happening. Like um, on Monday, uh, you know, I'm, I'm he- out for this Everything Is Festival. And on Monday, uh, I'm going to be at CineFamily and I'm talking about TV Wheel, which is one of my favorites. I was going to ask you about TV, TV Wheel. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Have, I still have the pilot on VHS tape in storage. Yeah, yeah they aired it on Comedy Central. What? At, uh, they aired it on Comedy Central after one of the, 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 the last, last Comedy Central yeah. Mystery Science Theater. I remember when you went to shoot that, because it was a lot of the same people worked yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. Tom so, Kenny was yeah. on that. Um, yeah, D- David Cross was mm. in that. So if you don't want to just explain the concept of TV oh, Wheel. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it, it was kind of like... Um, the premise was I was looking at the the idea of like how do you make um, how do you make TV you know TV gets it, it gets so segmented because of the way it's made it's kind of made like a movie sometimes you know you shoot things out of order you know as a performer and as a group of performers it's not always clear what's going on and so I just wanted it to be more theatrical more live and I was kind of thinking. Uh, a TV is a window, right? It's in your room. It's a window. And the camera on the other side is really the other side of the window. But when they make a show, there's like eight cameras and they just keep hopping around trying to trying to recreate movies, basically. I mean, long shots, close-ups. It's a live version of a movie. And I just thought, um, maybe there should just be one camera. Like, would that be better? Would that be um, better for the performers if they just understood the deal? Um, and had more like proximity kind of to direct themselves with the camera rather than a director telling them what to do. So I came up with this idea, which was the TV wheel, which was the ca- a camera in the middle of a 32-foot turntable with sets all around it. And so, um, and, and it did what the thing that I was most interested in, which is like in-camera tricks and... Forced perspective. Forced perspective and, and to try to do... Um, I just felt like, I mean, I guess at the time I was comparing it to SNL, and I just didn't feel like there was enough visual candy, enough like nice things to look at, and enough visual surprises. So, and I felt like we did that good on really well on Mystery Science Theater, and so I kind of wanted to take that and make a much more visual sketch show. So that's kind of what it was. And um, again, probably just, I think I felt obliged since I created Mystery Science Theater that. I felt like, oh, this is my job now is to create these new comedic art forms. <laughs> so here's another one. This one's with a wheel and a camera. Right. And it rotates around. And it was one It was one shot. Like yeah, it was it, pretty much one shot. Yeah. I mean, we did some, uh, occasionally we at the when we went out of it, you'd go to an exterior shot to kind of indicate what was going on. Because mm-hmm. w- w- did you originally make it for HBO? Well, right. It was HBO and, and the... You know, and I made it to just do it in one shot. And so the problem was when they put it on Comedy Channel, yeah, is or Comedy Central, they had to cut it up. And so it kind of lost. I felt that lost a lot of its like impact. Yeah, but um, but it you know holds up really well. It feels ex- <laughs> really live. It's like putting yeah, commercials. It's really cool. like putting commercials in the Goodfellas scene. Where yeah, yeah. Really like really right true. as they go into the kitchen, oh, cut the commercial, then back, and then they you know go back what? and sit down. That's like, such <laughs> a good analogy. Just really seriously, we did this entire show. It, we had 29 minutes and 30 <sighs> seconds to do it. We did it in 29 minutes and 29 seconds. Oh my god! All gosh. the set changes. Everything's live. The audience is live. The music is live. We just did it in one take, 
And you're exactly right. They just said, oh, yeah, we have to cut the tail and the head off this because we got to put commercials in. So I tried to salvage it by doing bumpers, but again, it was just like kind of a patch job. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, at, at uh, Cine Family, um, on Monday, I'm going to get to talk about it and kind of, you know, show slides from the development of it and uh, how, how we figured everything out, how we did it. That's fantastic. Yeah, cool. I know, so I'm that successful that I can come back and discuss my failed project. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there, there are some things that maybe, you know, maybe TV just wasn't ready for that kind of a thing yet, or audiences. I mean, it, it, it is, you know, I think that's a perfect show for the web because the right audience will find it. And on television, it's just so broad mm, that the fair. second someone doesn't get something... You know, like what is this shit? You know, like they just don't. It just they're confused, and then then they then they're not they're not in it. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a really good point. And um, it's funny. I met a guy who um, works in. Uh, he was the 3D guy at Sony, and he's like got his own company now. And he talked to me about TV Wheel. And he said, you know, that would like work so good in 3D because the 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 lens isn't tromboning at all like you're not changing it's the de- same deal it's consistent oh know? so i thought that was like a really great note and it's kind of true it's like but yeah and, and and you're right about tv in general where it was really one or two p- people's decision to say oh we don't want to we don't want to buy this as a series or we're not going to put it on we're just going to run it on comedy channel you know yeah so then what did you do because you you live in do you, you you live in minnesota now right i live in pennsylvania oh you live in pennsylvania yeah. okay yeah Cl- close you want to know what i do now yeah because you're not going to believe it what i do cinematic titanic no <laughs> <laughs> wait what is I, cinematic Titanic? well it's where we take you what yes um no I, it's crazy i got this gig um I'm the creative lead for media for an aerospace company called Kine. What? Yeah. And this guy, uh, Guido Feta, has invented... <laughs> That's a, not a real name. It's, 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 it's very it? racist, Joel. I just said Guido Feta really loud. <laughs> so he's, a, he's an Italian Greek? <laughs> no, he's a, a beautiful Italian man. Fuck this tall. <laughs> but his last name's I, Feta. You're going to say it's Super Mario. That's a Greek Mario. cheese. Mm-hmm. It's not Super Mario. Does he come to work in red suspender? Like a red <laughs> jumpsuit? <laughs> A big hat and a mustache. <laughs> it's a me, ya Guido. Um, what's that? It's a me, ya Guido. <laughs> I hey, just invented a new form of space transport. Now, what <laughs> um, I gotta tell you about every, it. Every, He's every, adorable. <laughs> Look at his blunder. Spaceport to save the princess. No, we're not gonna save the princess. Um, and it, so I encourage you to go to kane.com. What's that spelling? K-A-N-N-A-E.com. Okay. Um, and what it is, is it, it's amazing. It's a um, satellite engine that doesn't use reaction mass, meaning it doesn't burn fuel. It uses um, technology from uh, particle accelerators <laughs> to uh, keep satellites in, up in their geosynchronous orbit. So, yeah, you're laughing. Right? I'm not you're laughing. I ju- I'm not laughing. I'll tell you what uh, I'm doing is, is it, it's the funny part to me is how... <laughs> That technology conceivably could have driven the satellite of love. Like just thinking yeah. that that's how it all came back around. Like that you did this show about being in a satellite, and now you work on satellite yeah, uh, company that weird. builds satellite propulsion. It's Are those also shaped kind of like a scrotum? 
<laughs> no, the satellite of love was not a penis. <laughs> I've said this to you a million times. I know, keep coming I, I, back know it wasn't, I know it wasn't conceived that way. Um, but if you just look at half of you it. You must have a weird cock. <laughs> yes, no, no. That's what it's like. No, but um, my balls look like a satellite. <laughs> um, you know the story of why it looked like that, right? Why no. it looks like a bone? The satellite. A dog rock. bone? Yeah, do you no. know why? This is so, like, I love this so much. This is Trace's idea. Um, oh, we are getting together and, like, going, okay, well, we know we want geodesic domes to be part of the ship because that's just practical. It's good design. We were both into Buckmaster Fuller. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, he comes in the next day, and he shows me a Nyla bone, and he holds oh, yeah. it up to me, and he goes... This is what the satellite of love's gonna look like, and I go, um, why? And he goes, it's like from that shot in two thousand one when the guy, the early man, throws the bone up into the air, and then it, it, he does the cut, and there's that spaceship. So it's oh it's wow, the, it's he morphed those two frames together to make a satellite or a spaceship that looked like a bone. Oh wow! Oh my god! So that's that moment, and I just thought, oh yeah, you can do whatever you want with me now. <laughs> you say, if you keep saying stuff like that, that's I'll do whatever you fantastic. say. So Kinney, uh this you 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 draw you you handle their uh, their media. Yeah, I um he Guido's got uh, three. Yes, you sorry. can't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, he's got three um, videos up there that I produced that kind of explain the technology, and I helped him uh, like name. It's called the Q drive. The engine is actually called the Q drive. So I helped him do that. I got them together, you know, with designers. The guys from House Industries, if you know those guys, they did the. Uh, um, uh, they did the design stuff, the font and the logos, and and a lot of the design stuff on the on the website. But it's really fun, and it's really like great to do something that's real, rather than like making up stuff and having to talk other people into it. <laughs> I mean, you still do. I mean, he just actually he just um, sent it up for uh, for the Physics Journal review. And it's, this is really provocative, what he's suggesting, the way it works. He's got a working prototype. And um, the Physics Journal Review just, um, it's kind of like pitching a TV show because what they did was they're, they're kind of afraid of it because it's kind of crazy because he's basically saying, well, this engine can run off a solar panel and it can keep a satellite in its orbit indefinitely. And right now, satellites... They burn rocket fuel, and they're only good for like ten or fifteen years, and then they're they're basically disposed of, you know. And so he's saying, no, you just put this up once, and it takes care of itself, and and you can do that. And wow. um, and um, they're kind of like hedging their bets. So one guy from the Physics Journal Review said, okay, you can publish this. I believe it's real. The other guy said, no, you can't. And oh. so. So in the event it work, you know, in the event it works, he he's demonstrated that it works. But in the event they, um, it takes off and it's like becomes an industry, they're covered. Like, hey, we said it worked and we said it didn't uh, work. So yeah. uh, it's cool, you know. But it is was that, that Heisenberg it, magazine? That part of it? No, it's the Physics Journal Review. Oh, okay. Yeah. Close. Um, but Qu- anyway. quantum physics review. It works and it doesn't work. Yeah, so we're covered in case they got burnt by the cold fusion thing. <laughs> oh, so they're being really careful now. 
But anyway, so that's my job. I mean, you know, part time when I'm not doing cinematic Titanic. That's a pretty great life. It's just it's going around and getting to do the thing you love, but then also working to advance, to help advance technology. It's great. And when you look at the curiosity footage, you it's kind of like feeling like, um, oh, all the rich kids in the high school and their parents are celebrating how great they are, but we've got something way better but nobody knows about it yet. That's kind of how it feels. Well, now um, they will. Can, so with uh, with Kine, is there can, is there anything for people to do to help or get involved, or is there is there a Twitter account? Like um, what what can what can be or, yeah, go or do the we website. just observe? I think um, I'm trying to think what they can do. Um, Buy more feta. Yeah, Guido <laughs> <More> feta. feta. <laughs> just keep saying that to each other. That's all you need to do. Sounds like a Dick yeah. Tracy villain. <laughs> I'm gonna tell him that. Please don't. No, no. I... <laughs> please. Oh, please. Please. Please don't. I was just kidding. Oh, Christy, don't. Uh, so that people can go to can go to the website at kane.com. Yeah, kane.com. I don't know what else they can do uh, other than um, believe. Believe. Please believe. <laughs> if you could just believe in this one last thing that I'm offering. <laughs> I would just uh, Joel. So much. <laughs> Joel will fly into your bedroom through the open window yes. and take you to an island. Okay. Very well. Okay, I believe. I believe. Is it, uh, is it true? Uh, Dana Gould told us uh, that you uh, shared, I think, like a, a workspace with Husker Du. When you were, uh... Uh, yeah, no, in uh, in St. Paul, I I had a warehouse space that was the warehouse from the Husker Du album, The Warehouse. Wow. So yeah, I'd see him around, um, <laughs> walk in the halls and stuff. And at the other warehouse was the where 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 I actually met Jim Mallon. Uh, the Colonial Warehouse was where the replacements practiced. Really? So yeah, it was wow. all happening. Oh, that's crazy. It was all there. Did you get to know them as well? And were they fans of the show at all? Um, I got to know Chris Mars, who's a really cool guy, and uh, hung out with him a few times. He's like a fine artist now, and oh, wow. he does really cool, um, really cool paintings. He's the okay. guy who won't allow the reunion to happen. Like the replacements want to get back together. Tommy and um, Paul want to get back together, but I always figured it would be Tommy that wouldn't want. No. They want it to happen, but uh, Chris Mars is saying, no, I'm happy. Pictures. <laughs> it must wow. have been pretty awful for him. I don't know, but... Well, know. I, I wonder if sometimes, you know, like... Uh, 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 I, my, uh, Janet had this thing where if... When we were... Obviously, I'm, she probably still has it. I don't, I don't know why I would say. When we were together, she had this thing. But she had this very interesting thing that uh, that kind of I absorbed emotionally, which is... If we were driving somewhere, even if we got like five blocks from home and we forgot something at home, she wouldn't want to go home because she hated backtracking. Oh, I hate backtracking. Hated going back the same way. A lot of times you could you could get around it if you're like, okay, we'll take another way so it's not it doesn't feel like backtracking. And I think I think in a larger sense, philosophically, spiritually, whatever, uh, she sort of had that just sort of general philosophy. And I think there are people who have that in life. They're like, I already did that, yeah. and I just don't. I just can't. I just can't go through those motions again. I yeah. need to just be having new experiences and seeing new things. Yeah, mm. I think a switch goes off where you just go, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm all done. Even though, the, even though the fans are like, "How can you not?" You know, like, yeah. yeah, I know, but I'm the guy who has to make it. And I know, I just, like, yeah. I would like to see the replacements get back together. I'd go to that. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Definitely do that. So, uh, so who's uh, so cinematic Titanic is Josh and you and, and Frank uh, Connor. and Frank. Frank, Frank, Frank was another Frank. one. Amazing. Frank was another one. Frank used to run this comedy room with Jeremy Kramer, 
at the Complex Theater on Santa Monica uh, called Frank's Chop House. Oh, yeah. And, like, two people a week would show up to it, but it was it was right around when I first started really doing stand-up pretty heavily and, like, I don't know, I, I want to say, like, 98 maybe, 99, somewhere around there. And uh, and you'd go and it was so much fun, but there would it, like maybe two people would show up, but you would still get up and fucking yeah. Try there to- was, him and Pepitone, Eddie Pepitone had a show at the Fate Gallery, uh, where they there was just two old TVs on the stage, uh, and then they were up in the uh, you know upper second floor with little cameras like right in front of them, like you know with uh, night vision, and then so like they, they would be talking to each other. On stage on these weird TVs, and, they, and then they would introduce a comic, and then the TVs would go black. Now they do. Uh, now they do. A car- now Frank does Cartoon Dump. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. a great show that I, I that the Steve Allen. Yeah. Uh, if if you guys haven't he's, seen it, uh, cool. he's one of the best joke writers. How are we doing? Is it? I'm getting that feeling from you. It's time to wind up. It's right? about an hour, actually. Yeah. We're right All about right. an hour. And, but good? but please, uh, you're not getting that from me. I'll talk to you for another hour. But I've, I'm just starting to. I get very sensitive about my guests on the I'm show. Good. I think it's going well, and I was worried. <laughs> so how's the show? How's the show been so far? <laughs> I think it's going good, and I was worried because man, I was like, I was really. It's been a long day. It's like flying from the East Coast. And I had a meeting already. And the tra- I forget how bad the traffic yeah, is. Check it out it's Hollywood over here. Right? Traffic, meetings. <laughs> <laughs> You've this changed, guy. man. This guy. This guy, huh? Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, though, um, about Frank and his stand-up. He's so, uh, you know, that's where we kind of found everybody was in the Minneapolis comedy scene. And it was like, you know, Josh brought me to f- see Mike. And the thing about Mike was he was, like, really amusing himself. There's, like, this kind of comic that that is having a good time and doesn't need the audience. Norm MacDonald. Yeah, doesn't yeah. need the audience to, to, to laugh or not. And that's what made me like him so much because he was, like, you could see he... It, I mean, a lot of comics are needy. They got to get... I'm so, de- you know, like a comic is so dependent on the audience laughing. Yeah. And when you see somebody who doesn't do that, that's like knows they're funny and is am- they're amusing the right people in the room. And I think Frank's that same way. He like thrives on the odds being against him. Like yeah. if two people are in the room, he'd go in there and you know, you he'd make you laugh really hard. And the funny part would be that they aren't, they may or may not be laughing, <laughs> you know. So it, it, was, I like love Frank. Weird, it was really w- weird that way, but that's kind of how we found. Uh, it wasn't, you know, necessarily like, wow, they did a smoke in 45 minutes set. Right. It was more like everybody was at open stages and you just kind of like, oh, I, I like them. They seem nice and funny and they're interesting, you know. That's wow. cool. Well, I'm going to, I want to. I want to come to the the show. I mean, I, I don't. The unfortunate thing is that we can't post the show before Sunday because people don't listen. We don't. Oh, po- that's what. And I went spent all this time hyping uh, the show. But here's what we'll do we though. It Monday though. They can get here's, it Monday morning. Here's what we'll do. Um, we uh, we will promote it as as much as possible through you know Twitter and and the I website. Had him post it onto the site. Yeah, uh, post it on yeah. the site, and and so we'll let we'll let people know about the show Sunday night. Oh, that's good. Um, that's just so yeah. you don't feel like you've just wasted an hour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't, you know, I mean, how much time to actually spend promoting? 
Cinematic Titanic show. Three and a half minutes, maybe. If oh, I you even say three and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even before you went into it, you're like, uh, I guess I got to say that we're doing the Cinematic Titanic. Are you Titanic. doing me? Come on. <laughs> oh, no, very no, awkward. No. Oh. He was. He was, Joel. He was. I wasn't trying to John, you fucked up. super sleepy. I was just trying to get, I was trying to set the tone. Yeah. No, Jonah, you were totally like, so I'm Joel now. Hey, no, like no. you did stretched out where it was really awkward. No, I, mean, I did none of that. Kind of disrespectful. Joel I, busted you right on the show. I mean, Jonah, I so you literally weird. just mocked one of your idols <laughs> to his to fucking face. I did not try to do the voice. Jonah tried to get all buddy buddy with Joel <laughs> on the show by not. riffing on him in front of <laughs> <Yeah>. everybody. This was my favorite thing ever. You said it. Yeah, I'm your new best friend, Jonah. <laughs> you and I are going into the city tonight. <laughs> He's going to play that We're on his phone now. It's going to be his on. ringtone, that audio clip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing me to me. This fucking sucks. <laughs> I've never seen Jonah get flustered. It's uh, fucking I'm awesome. To do your voice. I'm just uh, I know. It's so uh, easy to do my voice, so I just don't begrudge anyone. That is a golden to... moment. That is a golden <laughs> moment. It's rare. Most of the time. Rare that that happens. You said it. Uh, it's awesome. You just you just got an achievement, Joel. If an achievement badge oh, could come could up on your it. Xbox home screen. That would be great. Uh, thank you. So are, are you on the Twitter as well? Or do you, do you no, stay away from the show? No, no. All right. I'm not, but I'd love to sh be shown how to do it. So sure. If you want to show me. I'll show you. Well, it's good It's good to see you. And and uh, and I really, you know, honestly, uh, just to get a little sappy, I, I, your, your contribution has rippled far and wide to a generation of young comics who, or at least for, you know, for me and all the people that I know of just like, you know, again, Comedy, comedy can be smart. Comedy can, you know, you don't have to go as broad as possible, and it, and it can really, you really can make stuff that you uh, appreciate and and amuses yourself. Well, I accept your compliment, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. And now I'd like to say something nice about you and Matt and Jonah. And I've had a great time. And, no, I'm just kidding. Listen, I really appreciate it, and it's slightly on. It's it's peculiar because it's slightly unreal to hear that from people, but I really appreciate it, and it's uh, it's really great. No, that's true. I think two thirds yeah. of us own a Tom Servo. You have one. I have one. Yeah, yeah. I have one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't have a Tom Servo, but I have a Tom Servo. I have a picture of me making out with a Tom Servo, which I tweeted to Kevin, and I was like, uh, "This is really awkward." Because yeah. uh, I'm literally like, you can see my tongue in its little beak. Yeah. Right. Uh, have you seen the Manos video game? No, I'll show it to you. It's on. It's yeah. available for the phone. We made like a 16-bit cool. Manos game. Yeah, it's uh, cool. and is it? Eight, eight, I think it's 8-bit, and uh, it uh, on the second 16. level, there's a uh, there's a Tom Servo in the background. No, didn't they remaster? Is the, I think happened? they're still trying to raise money oh, okay. to remaster it. Uh, and yeah, I think Rift Tracks just did like one of their their like you know right right projected stuff or. Uh, so well, as we wrap up. Um, a lot of time, you know, at the end of every episode, we tell everyone to enjoy their burrito. So, will Jonah do Joel's voice? <laughs> I'm kidding. 
<laughs> totally put him on the spot. <laughs> I'll just end up. Jonah yeah, felt so comfortable with me. I did. He felt no. like he could do me in front I, of me. And I stopped I him. <laughs> I didn't. All right. Fucking, Wait a minute. First off, you're I'm, in the room with me. I'm not gone. This is please. All right. I'll let you know. No, I haven't kidding. ever felt comfortable this entire time. And oh, um, I wasn't buddy. trying to do your best. Um, I know. I, but no. They do it as my voice. I don't want to. I don't want to. Because then I, I'm bad on the spot. I'll end up sounding like Roddy on the Rock or something. <laughs> See, the Vandals yeah. are playing. Yeah, yeah, he, he has, I think, the uh, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Oh, Joel, slot. He, he cannot be killed by conventional means. Yeah. <laughs> he is not of this world. No. Wow, it's amazing. The only thing that Did can bring see? him... The only thing that can bring him down is moisture to his mouth. No, the only thing... That, yeah. <laughs> he does not have. Rodney yeah. would be one of those the guys... The only thing that could take him down is a female-fronted rock group. <laughs> <laughs> Rod- Rodney, Rodney is one of those guys that, if he were more famous, would have appeared... Uh, at the Men in Black headquarters on their wall of like, these are famous people who are aliens, you yeah. know, like... Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, like uh, Lady, Lady Gaga, Rodney Bingenheimer. Yeah, that the Mayor kinda... Sunset Strip is is quite an interesting documentary. I saw that, and it was shocking that, like, he's friends with Bowie. That yeah. seems so weird. Yeah, it's like all these insanely huge rock stars just know him. Like, oh, yeah, Rodney. But there that's were... just where he lives with... He yeah. just lives in a small apartment. There were a couple of PBS documentaries just about uh, old uh, L.A., like L.A. in the 60s and the 70s or whatever, and he was always one of the talking heads they he's always, cut he's, to. He's, and he's been there. Like, and now wow. he's still, like, he's still a dude. He's still, you see him, like, going to Amoeba, going through the records. Yeah. At least. Yeah. I think he goes to this... At least he did when I, when I worked at K-Rock. He would go to the same Denny's every... It was like the same breakfast, the same, like, yeah. day in, day out, you know? Yeah. Cre- creature of habit. Yeah. Oh. Well, Rodney's not here to defend himself. (laughs) (laughs) Joey Burrito, everybody. (laughs) Uh, So you're just not going to do it, Jonah? Jonah doesn't have to do it. I'll do Jonah doing me. (laughs) Enjoy your burrito, everybody. (laughs) 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 Snorted. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.